Hi, I'm Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of My Ed Tech Life. I am excited to be here with you all on this wonderful Tuesday, and hopefully wherever it is that you're joining us from around the world, whether it's here in the U.S. or abroad, hopefully you've had a wonderful Tuesday, or actually it may be well into Wednesday, depending on where it is that you're listening from or joining us from. But thank you, as always, for all of your continued support. Thank you so much for the likes, the shares, the follows. Uh, you know, on social media. Thank you guys for our new YouTube subscribers, as well as you know, our mission is to get to 1000 subscribers. And I appreciate every single one of you that has been hitting that follow button and the subscribe and giving us thumbs up. You guys are amazing. And that's why we do what we do for you. So we can bring you some amazing conversations week in and week out. And tonight I am just really excited because it, it's going to be a fun conversation. These gentlemen that are here with me today, Mr. Josh and Will from the High Tech Podcast, are amazing podcast hosts, and we're also part of the EPN Network. So I'm just really excited about that, that we get to do a crossover show and just really have some fun. We're going to be talking podcasting. We're going to be talking ed tech, education, and who knows what else will come up, but I'm definitely excited for you gentlemen to be here. So Josh, Will, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys uh, being here with me this evening so we can chat it up. How are you all doing this evening? Doing pretty good. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, doing good. Response. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> will might be a little loopy, but I think I think we're we're here. <laughs> awesome. Hey, it's right. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Let's see what kind of conversations come up now that we'll maybe a little heavily medicated and everything. So Half a dozen. We'll see. Yeah. I am not responsible for anything that he says. So. <laughs> you got it, my but, friend. Half a dozen yeah. ibuprofen. I'll yeah, make there you go. No, but again, so let's go ahead and get started, guys. First and foremost, we'll go ahead and start off with Josh. Josh, you know, as we know, superhero origin story, every superhero has that. They all come. They all have a path. Sometimes there's a fork in the road. Sometimes there isn't. Sometimes it's a straight path. But regardless, there is an origin story. So I definitely want you guys to share your origin story so my audience, your audience, can go ahead and get to know you all a little bit more. So Josh, we'll get started with you. Can you tell us a little bit, a little bit of your background and, of course, you know what your context is, whether in the education space and, of course, in the podcast space as well? Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, a little of my background actually isn't in education. I started, so Will and I know each other from college. That's a little bit of the context and we'll talk more about that of our podcast. But um, I was actually originally a pastor, uh, ironically, before I got into education. Uh, and then this guy over here decided to uh, to leave his current job and I decided just to replace him, I guess, was the the plan. I don't know if we were, you know, trying to start a coup or what the, what the goal was. Um, but, uh, eventually after college, I ended up, uh, getting into instructional technology. I was interested in, in, uh, higher education in teaching. I'd enjoyed my college years. Um, and, uh, so I wanted to, uh, get more involved in that, that space. And so I ended up, uh, actually filling Will's old job 
as a learning systems administrator and instructional technologist, a very long, obnoxious title that I blame Will for. <laughs> um, but <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, that's that's how I got into education. I just really enjoyed it. Uh, I started getting into instructional design through that area and kind of designing courses. And so my current background of where we're at is I, I work in a, we call digital learning office. And so we design and develop all of the online and hybrid courses for our institutions. So we'll work with subject matter experts and help build courses and work through that. Um, and then we help faculty with instructional technology, finding tools, things like that. So now I manage a technologist team now that works in that area. Um, and then also I teach a little bit on the side, uh, which will end next semester because I need a slight break, but it's great for this semester. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Well, that's amazing. I love that. And of course that title, it's interesting because even for my role in my district, uh, as my title is instructional software specialist, but I've heard it, that title for <laughs> different variants and just shorter, some longer. It just all depends, I guess, in the district that you're in. So, yeah, I totally understand what you mean as far as long titles. So sometimes I just say, I'm just the instructional tech. Keep it simple, you know, and that's yeah. it. But because sometimes, you know, instructional software specialists are like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just sounds very formal. But all right. So thank you. I uh, appreciate it, Josh. And now, Will, how about yourself? Tell us a little bit about your origin story and your background and, of course, your road into instructional design and working with subject matter experts and education altogether. Yeah, man. Thank you again for having us. Um, well, there was some nuclear waste. I kicked it over and suddenly became the Hulk. Uh, <laughs> jokes aside. <laughs> I, I was um, in the martial arts and I, I got to uh, teach a few classes and that gave me a love for education, ironically. And um, when I went to my undergraduate, I wanted to be a, an English teacher. I was like, oh, if I can't do martial arts full time every day, all day, I'll do English language instruction, which I really love. I love language. I love all the things that are involved in like traveling to teach other other people and things like that. Um, and that ended me up at the college with Josh. And, and from there, I ended up getting a job after graduating in the Office of Online Education, which became the Office of Digital Learning. I was a uh, grunt, if you will, you know, make the LMS keep working, use these spreadsheets, <laughs> upload things into the LMS, rinse, repeat. Uh, but I didn't take it that way. I wanted to learn everything I could about the system and how teachers were using it. And soon enough, uh, faculty were just coming to me with questions. How can I do it better? What, what do we need to do? We went to a new LMS, and so they want, I did trainings on that. And uh, it just very early caught me in that bug of ed tech, in learning systems. Um, and I, I knew in education, in higher education, the only way to kind of go forwards kind of career-wise and get a master's degree, start to develop further. And so I got a, a master's of education, learning design and technology, which just opened so many doors, not only for skills and skills development, uh, but meeting people and networking. And um, I eventually left where, where Josh is now and went on to work at Penn State University, which was a great uh, experience of being in a huge instructional system with so many other instructional techs, instructional designers, faculty all over the place uh, that we were just dealing with really, really cool things and, and trying out tech in like you know, police education courses and criminal justice courses and, and engineering courses, some really just ingenuitive um, ways to look at education in the technological space. So all of that kind of brought me together where I am today in corporate learning. I I left higher education, unfortunately. I, I love the mission of it, but I was really uh, working through some of the best things for me and ended in learning and development. Now I'm using all those skills to try and 
build e-learning online and make it as effective and hopefully as engaging for uh, corporate learners, adult learners as possible. Love it. Love it. And I love the way your stories really, you know, going back to Josh, you know, being a pastor, obviously it's being a teacher, you know, also as well. Yeah. So I can definitely see the way that that built up into even easily transitioning into education, because really it's just that teaching, wanting not only to learn, but also to pass on that learning for Will also with martial arts and teaching that and, and that affinity for language also as well. Like I can definitely see that. And it's wonderful how that led you down into this road as far as education is concerned and, you know, bringing you along together. And then of course, you know, separating you in the sense of the job, but of course, bringing you together to do this great podcast that y'all have, which is the high tech podcast. And like I said, you know, one of the things that I love about your podcast is really just the conversations and the way that you and Josh really, you know, just, you know, off of each other, you know, you just, uh, you know, pick up conversations and just go back and forth. And it's just really yeah. just being just true and just really raw. And I absolutely love that. You guys definitely have some fun. And I know that I've had a lot of fun listening to your podcasts and, you know, listening to uh, the amazing guests that you've had. So just keep up the great work. And now what I want to ask now is whose idea was it to come up with high tech podcasts? Oh man, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was kind of like a if you like a spark moment together. If I can cop out on that, uh, what basically happened is I took the job that Will had used to be in. I took it was in it for about like twenty minutes, and I was like, "This is cool. I don't really know a lot about education. How did they give me this job? Like, how do I, like I, imposter I, syndrome." Uh, yeah, so like I did what any normal human being does in the 21st century. I went looking for podcasts in that area. Um, and uh, just what I was looking for was I, I had a bit of a theory, but I was not in the tools nearly as much. And so I was looking for like something to just kind of like beef up on what's out there, all the options that are there. Like I'd started looking around, but I was looking for kind of some guidance. And at the time I had struggled uh, to do this. Now, Chris uh, Nessie from uh house of ed tech uh, always makes fun of me when we talk about this and he's like well you know my podcast was here but that's fine um <laughs> like we just hadn't found anybody yet and so will and i were you were like painting an attic were you i don't like literally like that. yeah yep. you were like just painting an attic and we joked about starting a podcast uh to kind of fill that that hole for us i think what we were looking for is i was finding a lot of stuff in k-12 which was fine and we were finding a lot of connections there um, but higher ed is, is a little bit of a different animal. It's a different world a bit. And so we were talking about how we didn't have a lot that was kind of focused on higher ed. Um, and so we just kind of both were like, we should start a podcast. And then we did what anybody else does. We procrastinated for a year up until COVID uh, when we got bored. Uh, we were like, well, I guess we could start it now. And that's, I think, kind of kind of how it spawned, spawned out. Yeah. yeah. Josh and I live two blocks from each other and we absolutely could be podcasting sitting right next to each other right now but it started in covid and we just like hey let's do it this way you know we have the tech we're techies and made it happen every day since then i mean it was that simple fonds we just looked at each other like well i guess we had the idea we better do it that's it there you go 
I love it. I love it. I love it when a plan comes together in that way. And again, you know, just the fact that Chris, you know, Chris is definitely, he played an integral role in me, you know, starting my podcast too as well. I had just started it, you know, maybe a couple of episodes in and, you know, he reached out and I would reach out to him for questions. And of course, just learning the space and so on. And he's always been very helpful and just always willing to just give ideas or share and things of that sort. So Mm -hmm. that's been great that um, you guys connected. And of course, you know, it's interesting. I I had no idea, you know, up until now, maybe I kind of missed that in some of the episodes, but I mean, the fact that you guys live and are neighbors, (laughs) you know, and could be doing this, like you said, you know, but this, this works, you know, you guys are in your own space, you know, comfort of your own home and things of that sort, kicking shoes off and whatnot. And that's it, you know, you're good to go have some amazing conversations. So that's great. So now as, as you started the podcast, I want to know a little bit more, did you already have an idea or a clue of what it is that you were going to be talking about? Or you just say, you know what, let's just go ahead and record. So tell me about that magic as far as how the podcast came to be to from its inception to where it is and what it is now. Yeah. I mean, off of what Josh is just saying there. So we see this, we see this saturation in K-12, not a bad thing, but we're looking at higher ed going, what do we do here? We love tech. We have ed tech. We started playing with the names and we had that moment, like, do we have Wikipedia make a name for us? Do we come up with a whole <laughs> new term? Or just like, what are we trying to do here? Talk about higher education, educational technology, high tech. That's it. And and the only other thing we get anymore is jokes about whether or not as marijuana has become more and more legal and more and more accepted in places. <laughs> oh, are you guys a marijuana podcast? No, yeah. that is not the case. <laughs> higher education, educational technology. Um, we really try to focus in on that spot. And um, it was it was this idea, of course, to focus on the educational side of it, then the technology side of it. You know, even every single one of our episodes pairs a conversation around something in education, something we're dealing with in our day to day, something we hear from our peers, something that's in the news um, and then a technological solution, not always immediately one to one, but we very intentional about that point of trying to make sure that this is an educational podcast focused towards higher education, though we, we broaden sometimes, um, but not forgetting in our roots, in our day to day, tech is a part of so much of this and making sure to amplify uh, tech that is, you know, that is already well known, like, you know, like a Microsoft flip, for instance, or something fresh and new, you know, like ArguFlow that's like, that's, burgeoning it's not even public it's not even beta yet it's still alpha um, we just want to give those kinds of uh, you know spotlights to really good uh, solutions and, and ideas that are out there Excellent. yeah i think yeah. for us it was like the the only thing that came out of it in a classic way with will and i was like what should we do and we were like we'll talk for a brief period of time and then we'll share an app and we called it like the conversation app thing um and uh that started as like our flow and just what we were going to do and it kind of just stuck mainly out of i think we we weren't sure how to fit other things in because the thing you need to know about the two of us and especially about will is that especially early on like will finds apps like buried under like the ground like i don't know where they come from i would log into our system and find like eight new apps so to like even get through all that stuff we were just like we're gonna keep it simple um and i think the other thing we wanted to infuse into it is because will and i both come from kind of a like now, now I'm teaching a bit more, but like we were at the time coming both from kind of this faculty support side and not necessarily day to day in the classroom, but day to day kind of designing courses. We wanted to kind of infuse that into a little bit of what we were doing, kind of talking about 
the instructional design side of things, kind of developing learning experiences, um, what that looks like. And so we kind of ended up going that direction and then ended up just like having friends who wanted to be on the podcast. And I think that's what kind of started our guest thing. Um, we were like, well, you guys can come on. That'll be great. Well, fun. Well, and I don't want to talk the whole time. Uh, and then the guest thing started to grow. And so I think that's kind of become another bigger thing that we, we really do. And that just kind of naturally grew out of connections and people we started talking to and, and jumping in with. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that tends to happen. You know, like I said, uh, you know, when I first started to, I kind of went one way, you know, during COVID and it was like, okay, you know, kind of, I was working with, or, you know, alongside global GEG and we were doing stuff with Cami and we were doing virtual, you know, everything and showing teachers. And of course, because there was a need for that at the time, you know, so we're doing several webinars and I said, well, I want to do something local now here to my area. Uh, but then, of course, during COVID, it was more like, hey, I just want to hear your story. Like, how are you handling? How are you doing? And of course, it was more a little bit. You'll see the first couple of episodes are there is some tech, you know, but a lot of it is like, you know, how are you holding up? How are you doing? You know, things like that sort and people just really opening up and, you know, some of the struggles and some of the things that they were overcoming. And then, of course, once we came back, OK, what are the struggles? What are this? And then, of course, now with, you know, so much technology that is out there that there's a new app coming out like every second and of course just trying to navigate this space here in the k-12 space i can't even imagine too in the higher ed space with so many things that are coming up and of course with ai and being in the conversation of all, everything since last year you know you know those changes and so now it's just really trying to navigate the space and you know trying to give equal opportunity to like everybody and you know not just focus on one thing so that's really been my thing you know as far as opening up the platform so i'm glad that you guys also have that reach and that friends are like hey man can i be on and you know platform uh founder ceos and things of that sort too like coming on and sharing their stories and i think that that is something that is wonderful that you know as as our platforms continue to grow, that people are noticing the work that we're doing and just truly wanting to learn ourselves, but also share that learning with others. So I think that's great. And yeah. I mean, the way that you guys do it is phenomenal and great. Like I said, it's just all laughs and giggles. And, you know, I just really, <laughs> after listening to your episodes, I'm like, I it, it, it just really fills my bucket. Like, I feel really good. I'm driving in the morning and I'm like, hey, all right, I'm good. Let's go. Let's roll. So that's great. So tell me, oh, it says here, Oscar, thank you. I want to give a shout out to Tanya and Oscar who are joining us in the chat. So Oscar says here, I was Alfonso's first online viewer. Big shout oh, out man. to my boy, Oscar. Love Oscar. <laughs> We're in the doctoral program together. And so awesome. uh, actually we went through the master's and the doctoral program. So hopefully he's gonna, he's getting ready to start dissertation uh, probably this next semester. Oh, and man. I've already started a semester. So I'm just a semester ahead of him. But so we're excited. Hopefully we'll be finishing up around the same time. And everything. Adios, so, mio. that's when exciting. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about higher ed, especially, you know, myself that were an Oscar too. And we have that experience also as well. Oh, okay. Big shout out to Tanya also, because Tanya is one of the top viewers. So that's right. Calling <laughs> you. Top viewers. Yeah. I got to give her a shout out. So thank you, Tanya, for joining us. But higher ed, you know, one of the things that my experience was with higher ed, especially going through the master's and kind of in a similar fashion, as Will said, you know, now that I'm moving into this current role that I'm in seven years ago, it was uh, kind of like master's preferred, but not needed. However, 
when I walked into that room for the meeting for the very first time with everybody, I was like, yeah, like everybody here's got a master's except me. So that made me want to get my master's. And of course, did an accelerated program, which was great. You know, the, the, the experience and the professors that we had, one thing that I loved is that they allowed you to really say, okay, here is the task. And what we would love for you to do is connect it to a real world problem that you're seeing, whether it's mm -hmm. in your work or just something that you want to solve. But what I love though, about the program is that they said, use whatever tool you want, but I mean, you know, and but of course we went through, you know, the the learning process. We definitely went through some modules and stuff. But at the end, what I loved is you had that freedom to just kind of use any tools that you needed as long as you found a solution and you had a product at the end. And I, I was talking to some other uh, folks that were going in through some programs and, you know, there are some programs that still require you to use PowerPoint and you can't turn anything else other than PowerPoint in. And I'm just like, yikes. So I want to ask you, Will, Josh, and we'll start with Will first. Like, what has been your experience working in higher ed? And then, of course, working with those subject matter experts. By you designing or helping them design the coursework, does it leave it open to trying out different tools? Or are students really set just, you know, here, this is it and nothing else? Fonz, that is like... A wonderful question because I actually take it strongly on both sides of the question, the argument that's going to be made here, right? One thing is in that option for creativity and expression and allowing people to learn or use things they're familiar with, um, really, really engaging that way. It might speak more to like multiple modalities. It might speak to um, even, even more authentic technology, right? I remember using a software in my master's degree that was authentic to instructional design. I'd never touched it before. And so once I got into instructional design, I was like, oh, this makes sense of why you might storyboard with a tool like this. Like I got the chance to use it. Um, but on the other side of that, one thing that happens is like you said, some institutions are very locked down. They want you to do just Microsoft PowerPoint or something to that effect. I think that there's actually a lot of equity and support on that side of the argument where, you know, if you don't have a good technology, sometimes you're scraping around for freemium ones and you're trying to use a 14 day trial and you're trying to get your project done as quick as possible, or, or you're, you're using like three or four email addresses to get, keep getting new trials to complete the project. <laughs> like that's, you know, that's, it's real. We've all done it. That's a lot of um, tenacity on the behalf of the student. And and then on the other side, right, this where the institution says we will use Microsoft 365 for everything. Everyone has equal access to the tool. Everyone has that available to them. And I found that um, like like where I originally started working in higher education, our accelerated programs were serving a lot of folks who were uh, lower income or just lower technology uh, literate or lower access, right? And so a lot of them were doing their work on their cell phones. We actually went to an LMS that specifically uh, tried to you know sell itself and, and support itself as a mobile first or mobile friendly platform because we wanted to make sure our learners in our accelerated programs in our lower income areas would be able to learn as equally or as equitably as their peers, you know, in, in uh, an agricultural suburban area as where the original campus is from. Um, I think both are really good purposes. I'd love to see more and more in those, you know, and it's, I'm not pointing the finger. I'm not busting on Microsoft 365. It's just common in higher education. You know, when, I mean, when we you get those, <laughs> well, that's, that's for our podcast, Josh. We're not going to do that yeah. in Fonzie's. Uh, but 
in those institutions, it's usually pretty rigid. I'd love more flexibility, but to have a baseline, to know that there's a baseline that everyone can complete the assignment and no one's going to be left out of the out of the wings because, oh, I don't have even PowerPoint. Like I personally don't own a copy of Microsoft 365 in my day, my, my personal life. I do not have Office in any of my personal devices. I, if someone expected me to use Microsoft to complete an assignment, I, I wouldn't. I would find some other way to do it. <laughs> Not for any reason against Microsoft, just because I don't want to pay for the software. I'm going to go like you did, find that free thing, find that Google option, find that creative way to do the assignment. So there's big pros on both. Uh, I think that that equity thing is a really important one for me, but uh, creativity is what we love. We want to drive towards it when you think about teaching and learning. So yeah, it's a a great answer. You know, yeah, that's a great answer. Well, you know, and the only reason I asked that too is because one of my colleagues, his wife just started a doctoral program and the assignment had to be done through uh, PowerPoint slides and the recording had to be done, you know, through PowerPoint slides, you know, and they had such a difficult time using that because he's like, look, like it's so much easier to do it this way, but the professor would not accept anything else. However, I never really thought about it that way. As far as that equity piece, you know, maybe there are, you know, you more people might have access to that, whether it's because of work or anything that they, or even through the institution that makes it right. available to them that they would have that available as opposed to maybe somebody like myself that has, I'm like, I just don't want to do it this way. Like I want to be out different and outside the right. box and I want to <laughs> do it this other way, which I, I have kind of gotten a little bit in trouble with sometimes with some of my doctoral uh, professors, but they've been really cool because uh, one year this was a, a great experience for me. And and this is even a teachable moment just for even as adult learners. One of my professors said, OK, I'm going to give you all a choice board. And everybody was just like deer in a headlights look except me. I was like. Yes, choice board. And she's like, here are your choices. You can either do a book study where you're going to read this book. Um, you are going to join this conference where you will do have to do. We had to do about 22 contact hours pretty much. So you don't have to show up to class, but you have to do 22 contact hours in this which way, shape or form. And then I, of course, raised my hand on Zoom and they're like, yeah, Fonz, what's going on? I was like, uh, can I do a podcast? And she's like, well, it's not on here, but yeah, why not? So I was like, all right. So everything that I ever asked for has always been, can I do a podcast? Can I do a podcast? And luckily all my professors have been really cool. And I even talking to my, my, my chairs, I'm like, I don't want to write a hundred and page, a hundred page dissertation. Can I just do a podcast or a video? Like, I, I just don't want to write. And and so I'm trying to convince them to say like, hey, we can do this together, you know, and, and you'll get credit too. And you'll get your scholarship and I'll get my degree, but let's do something different because I, I, I just it. don't like that traditional. And so sometimes I tend to push yeah. the boundaries on yeah. my own, but now the way that you put it will like i never thought about it that way as far as that equity piece and it makes so much sense so it's kind of helping me rethink you know things differently and so Mm -hmm. i know that i'm definitely going to share this clip with my colleague and just kind of let him know (laughs) that as much as painful as it was to create that project the way the professor wanted it there there probably is a reason why and it could be because of that that equity piece so and it's not um it's not that like uh it's not that it always has to be microsoft or one or the other i've now worked at three different places that have both google 
and Microsoft available to the students all like there are there's some options even within the rigid, but they provide it. And that's that's the thing that stands out to me in those cases, like the places I've worked where they provide both of those. It's outstanding. You know, it, it makes a, a standard available to everyone. Excellent. Yeah. So we've got Tim here who says, I saw that kind of exclusive policy in, uh, I guess, a master's in, I'm not sure what that is, DL, educational education leadership. leadership. There you go. Yep. It says, when it came to paper submitted, we had to be in Word only. Anyone else? Uh, I don't think I had anything that it was in Word. Actually, yeah, I had to submit a lot of papers during my master's just in Word. And then finally, they kind of like loosened up and said, okay, you can do Google Doc and just submit the link and things yeah. of that sort. So, you know, they they, 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 they were very flexible. So that's been kind of good. So Josh, I want to get your take now too, as well. Now that, you know, of course, with that instructional design experience and, you know, creating learning experience, working with your subject matter experts and so on, what are your thoughts on that? You know, as far as, yes, we should open it up more or, you know, are you kind of in, in the middle? as far as like the way will thinks yeah so this is a running joke on our podcast because uh i took i took over after will and while will has gotten to this middle area i think him and i've come close to the middle area together but we both started at different spectrums pre-high-tech podcast um and when i came i think the the epitome story of this is i came to the institution that will was at and we had what did i say well like four mind map tools on the list of things that like students could use um yeah. it was it was a lot and so i yeah i kind of take a middle approach of like because we like will said it, i have a similar context right so like i'm working with students a lot who are do have some tech challenges we have a lot of adult students who they're coming back to school in our environment and for them even the idea of like a learning management system gets really stressful um and so we've noticed when we throw too many options and we don't give them something it can kind of create this this barrier for them where they're not sure what to do. Um, that said, I think where we've kind of gravitated towards and we try where we can is in design is to say, if we can provide flexibility here, um, let's do that, but let's give them an option of kind of a stable thing they get through the institution if they don't want to take the flexible situation, right? So like a, a classic example of this for us would be um, we have like a blog activity that ends up kind of a template that people can use and we kind of build off of it and they, they leverage it. We'll provide them kind of a tool that they can leverage that the institution we've set up some support systems for our team knows how to support them if they have issues. Um, but we allow them to say like, if you have another platform you want to use another website, another way you want to do this, that's totally okay. You can submit it that way. You can do it that way. Uh, do know if you call our help desk, they're probably not going to know what you're talking about, but like they will um you can you can have those options open and so i think we've tried to find places that we can do that um yeah like blog podcasts as we funds we do that in some of our courses we have like a podcast type of situation and that's where we'll we'll recommend one we provide support for that that tool if they don't know what they want to use but if they have other options or they want to do it uh they absolutely can i think the only place we've gotten kind of restrictive is unfortunately our institution is only a microsoft we don't have any of the google tools um so we do have to be kind of restrictive there in certain ways just so that so the instructors can use their stuff um because we have instructors who don't know how to use google docs as crazy as that sounds and i'm trying to get them to like understand it but um so the way we've got around that is i think the simple solution is you don't have to dictate the tool that the student uses just dictate how it how it's submitted like it's easy to say like submit your work as a pdf and an lms anymore and be able to comment on it and still do all the grading and feedback you'd want to do 
um, in there. But I love providing the options at the same time. But like to what you said, Fonz, for those who do want to take it, I think that multiple modalities provides some fun and experimenting. I've been doing it in my own course where kind of I had a, I have a final project where they have to do kind of a digital storytelling activity and they can do something really basic with PowerPoint and a presentation or they can go crazy and they can do, I have even like creating fake social media profiles and things like that. And um, they, uh, they get that kind of deer in headlights moment where they have too many options presented to them. But I find if you can kind of ground them in like a, an easy one, if they're stressed about it, and then provide the options to the students who really want to venture out. I'm, I'm having students now doing like interviews for that activity now with people. And they're like really branching out beyond what I asked them to do. And it's super cool. Uh, they haven't submitted it yet. So don't ask me how it's going until <laughs> next week, but we'll see. How that goes. <laughs> see but, and that's something that I love. And I know I've been lucky that I've been able to experience that even through my master's program where they said, you know, I, and I always ask, look, I, I know that you have a list here of things that you have, but have you considered this? And they're like, well, no, but yeah, go ahead and use it. So I've been lucky enough that sometimes I feel like they, they're just like, okay, let's see what this can do. So they kind of learn from it too as well. So it's great because it's a learning experience, not only for my professors, but for myself and for, of course, my colleagues and my peers that are there with me. But going back to what you're saying, you know, I, I even in my job place, place or my, yeah, my job place, <laughs> uh, my work, <laughs> oh my gosh, sorry about that. Uh, we've standardized on certain platforms. And, and again, it doesn't mean that teachers can't use other platforms on their own. You know, obviously they can sign up for things that are free. And I always say, hey, if it's free 99, it's for me. So, you know, take it and take advantage of as, you know, as much as you can. The only thing is, is that many times they're like, oh, no, we want it and we want to buy it. But the thing is, the district won't purchase it. You know, there's yeah. certain things yeah. that need that are required in order for the district to purchase that, obviously. And uh, it has to go through curriculum and instruction. However, the platforms that we have and that standardized on, you know, have been wonderful. And obviously, it's been Google Workspace. We have Cami. We use Screencastify. We use EdPod. Puzzle. But of course, you've got those teachers that are early adopters or just very great with the tech that are on their own, either using things like Flip or using Book Creator, things of that sort. And, and in a very similar fashion, I think it was uh, I think it was you, Josh, that said, like, if anybody calls and is like needing support for something that we didn't standardize on as a district, it's like, I'm sorry, like you're kind of on your own and you kind of have to troubleshoot, you know, that. And so those are kind of the things that, you know, where yes, we have this available and yes, you have the freedom to choose that, but just understand that you're kind of using that on your own and we're not supporting that. And so the troubleshooting aspect, or especially if they say, Hey, I need to roster this and roster. We're like, Whoa, 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 slow down. You know, we need to be very cautious because who is it that we're yeah. sharing our information with and so on. So yeah, you know, as far as restrictions, you know, we do have some, but again, it, it all serves that purpose. But the great thing about it, too, is that we always look at the data and based on data, we look at usage and seeing how uh, the teachers are using it. Are they using it enough? And then we send out a survey prior to the year, probably like around March before the school year ends. We send out a survey to the teachers. And then, of course, we'll ask them how they feel about our platforms. Do you still want, mm -hmm. you know, the value, the value add? Was it something you still want to continue using? And then we ask, what other platforms are you using that maybe oh, nice. we may not know about so we can do yeah. our research? Because, uh, you know, 
I, I research all day and I know that there's apps that are wonderful that we're willing to use, but I've never had the opportunity to put them in a group setting to see how well they would play out. But again, mm -hmm. getting to know that and doing some research and seeing firsthand from a teacher using it, then that kind of gives us a better idea of the value add. And most importantly, not only the return on investment, but the return on instruction, which is very important to us, you know, making sure that it does align with our Texas standards. And of course, that it is going to be something that's going to create a learning experience for the student. And it's not just another, you know, tech for tech's sake kind of deal yeah. and is going to cause a, you know, teacher to also feel that burden of having to learn a new platform and so on. So this this year has been a little bit more consistent where we've kind of just rolled over the same platforms and the teachers have been, um, you know, going to town with it and actually going deeper. And right now I'm working on some video series for some of the platforms to go in deeper and deeper mm -hmm. so teachers can really dive in. And uh, because again, I don't know if you see this as much in the higher ed space and maybe through your experience, you can share this. But what I notice in K-12 is we can have platforms that duplicate efforts, but just because one has one little more button yeah. or bell or whistle, like yeah. that's it. I'm dumping this. I don't need you. And I'm going to move on to that one just because yeah. of that one thing. And yeah. it really may not make a difference. It's still doing the same thing, but it sometimes may cause more of a headache or we see a lot of the, well, so-and-so is doing it. I want to use it now and I want to use mm -hmm. that now. And so it's it becomes almost like very addictive. Is this something that is seen in higher ed? So we'll start with you, Josh. This time, what what are, has what have been your experiences with apps and maybe that addiction to apps? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's a little bit different. I will note in higher ed, I think it's different than K twelve a little bit. Um, we definitely have more resistance in technology in higher ed in some places. I think, um, but I definitely see that. Right, we see that where. Uh, we'll pick this app. Somebody will pick this app because it does this one extra thing that the other app didn't do, or they're just used to it, or they like it, and they pick that area, or it's a new tool. Um, will and I will joke. We have plenty of friends. One who's been on our podcast, I won't name here, uh, who loves to <laughs> loves to find the newest tool, uh, and will bounce in a second from the tool he was using, even if it was great, just because there's that new cool one uh, over there. Um, or but, mind mapping apps for a reason. Yes, that was why we had four. Uh, so the uh, this absolutely, I think the way we take it in, in Fonz, one of the things I think is a helpful little note about my context is like my my team is building a lot of like masterized courses is what we'll call it. So kind of pre-designed, they're given to the faculty. Faculty have their flexibility in what they want to do. We take very seriously not doubling up apps uh, that do the same thing because we, we really view what we're doing as building kind of an educational ecosystem for our students. And so what we don't want to happen as a student to go in, you know, use the mind map tool as an example, go into one course, use this mind map tool, and now they go into another course, the next subterm, and they have to use a different mind map tool and learn that one to do the same thing. So the kind of the rule we have is kind of allowing the choice to be in the students area, but like being careful and taking very seriously kind of that responsibility of what we're providing and recommending to students. We're not overloading them and it's becoming another kind of cognitive overload situation where now they have to worry about a bunch of different tools that they have to learn. But I, I definitely think it's there where 
that's just a part of kind of tech. We like the tools. We like, we each like our different preferences of what they do. And so that happens all the time. I see people choosing and Will and I are guilty of this left and right. We've probably picked different tools because we've been like, I like that one feature it does better than the other, even though that other tool works perfectly fine. Um, I could probably use it. Yeah. yeah. All right. How about you, Will? Share your insight. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple pieces to that that um, are consistent in all of my experiences, a couple different institutions, a couple different purposes, um, faculty show up and, and and there's there's kind of there's kind of always the one who literally doesn't even want to use his telephone, like doesn't have that level of technology. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's those folks who are like, let me use three mind mapping tools in one course. Like there's there's a there's a good disparity there. One of the things that I've found consistently in my role I hate to say as guardian or maybe arbiter, but like Josh and I take it very seriously. We have, we, we have talked about, we've had an episode about our philosophy of educational technology. Like it's something we think very critically about. Um, and it's part of our job to remember accessibility, to remember equity, to remember some of these, these more um, critical to learning components, but not what people think of when they think of learning. They think of learning, like read the book, watch the movie, take the test. They don't think of how that happens. Um, and so one of the things that happens with like those mind map tools is yes, this new mind map tool came out with the feature we all wanted, but it's not accessible at all. It, it, you can't support all learners or even most learners with the tool. Um, that's what I've tried to like help faculty who are sprinters Let's put it in that term, right? They want to sprint to the new tool. It's like, let's slow down. Let's just check a few quick, uh, I hate to say it, legal boxes. Is it accessible? No? Pause. We don't even have to think any further at this moment. You know, there and, it, and this, I will couch all this to say there's a difference between what we try to do, like in Josh's context and, and the context I've done with online courses, from an institution forward position, as opposed to giving the students freedom to test express, try, create, experiment. If a student came to me and said, I want to try a different mind map tool as a teacher, as instructional support, mazel tov, that sounds great. I love that for you as a student. As an institution, you know, on our side, kind of as the guardians again, I want to make sure that anything we are supporting, anything we are endorsing, anything we are telling, you know, students are going to take in three or four or five different courses it's consistently accessible. And that's always been my challenge to faculty who want to push the envelope. It's like, that's great. Let's try it out. How about we do the endorsed one as option A, and that's available to everyone. And if you want to, you can encourage the students to try other tools. I, for the life of me, you know, and it's probably for a good reason. I can't remember the name of this tool, but there was a long time. Uh, it just came back to me, but I'll, I'll just not use it. There's a very popular <laughs> presentation tool that every instructor at the institution I was working at wanted to use. Like, oh, this is just, it's so pretty. Let's, can we just have the students use this? And it, they literally, that tool had said to me, you know, when I requested their VPAT, their voluntary product accessibility template from them to see if they were complying with ADA 503, you know, I was doing my work. They said, we don't want to do that. We're not going to do that. And I said, then you're dead to me. I'm not going to support you as a tool. And, and yet it was the top tool that all of my faculty were requesting. So, you know, it's something to wrestle with, but you know, it's, it's one of those things I think is good that we exist, that Josh and I, the people like us are out there to, to do the work and to look into it, to request the VPATs, to know what they are in the first place. 
but when it comes down to the creativity, you know, try and try and give some room for the faculty and the students to wiggle when they want to express themselves, when they want to create, because I think that that's a beautiful part of learning and we need to support it. I love that. I love that. You know, and and I've kind of grown into that in this role, you know, in the last seven years, you know, because I was one of those that when I was in the classroom, it's like all hands on deck. We're going to try this. We're going to try that. I learned this at TCEA. I saw this on Twitter. I saw this here and, <laughs> you know, doing it. But but that helped me learn and see kind of asking these questions, you know, is it accessible to everybody? Is everybody going to be able to have the same learning experience and so on? And then so now in this in my current role in seven years now, you know, I've kind of become that where yes, that there's so much hype behind this tool and very much like you, it's like, oh, it looks so pretty and we want it and do this, but is it accessible? Is it really offering what it needs to do? And, or it's, is it going to give us the results, especially for our demographic and things of that sort? And so those are some of the things that, you know, I question often and I get reached out, I get reached uh, by several companies that are like, hey, can we meet with you and this and that? And the first thing I ask is like, uh, do you have uh, Texas standards alignment? Uh, no, we don't. See ya. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate <laughs> it. But yeah, Probably I don't want to take up too much of your time. And but no, 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 wait. I mean, because now you can put it in here and you and, and here's what I get from a lot of uh, AI companies. It's like, well, you can just copy the standard and put it in here and it's going to give you something. I was like, no, no, it's not. It's not going to give me what I need because I know the standard and it's actually causing me to do more work because of this output. Well, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. I was like, I know, but my wheel that I have right now is set and it's aligned to the standard. So I'm good. Yeah. You know, so that's one of the things too, currently with so many AI tools that are out there, like literally like my presentation and, and everywhere I go is always like, kiss your tech or kiss your AI, keep it simple and streamlined. And obviously my thing is, is like, if it's not standards aligned, I'm not even going to bother looking at it, you know, because yeah. I don't want my teachers to get into any kind of trouble for not following the standards or what seems to be very confidently written as a Texas standard, but in reality, it's not. And what worries me, not just with the AI, but with any app is what kind of habits are we forming with the use of these apps? If maybe the first output, that's it. I'm going to go ahead and submit that and share it with my kids without really doing your due diligence and, you know, understanding that it doesn't fit your, uh, your standards or it's aligned with your curriculum. So I'm always like very cautious. And like you said, as pretty as it looks and as pretty as that wrapper is, you know, we definitely need to know what's on the inside, what's behind it. And we want to make sure that it's something that is equitable, something that's accessible and something that is worthy. That's going to give you your return on instruction and return on investment. So yeah, pretty much I'm with you guys, man. That is awesome. Like that. Yes. Yeah. All right. So we've got some here. It says, uh, Oh, <laughs> Tanya, it says, but the whistles are so nice. <laughs> I, love I mean, it is Get true. It? They are. Get yeah. It? <laughs> the whistles are so nice. And then Oscar says, yeah, great point, Alfonso. Yeah. So again, you know, this has been great, guys. Like, thank you so much for coming by and sharing and, you know, just your experiences. And this really helps me out too, especially since we get to see your perspective from the higher ed standpoint. And just to see that really, although we may be a couple of grades apart, <laughs> I'm in the K-12 space, you know, yeah, you're in the yeah. P-16 space, you know, and so on. But, you know, it, it's the problems are, or actually, you know, it's, 
I don't want to say problems, but you know, it, the worlds do collide and there's yeah. lots of similarities in what we're seeing, obviously just a little bit different. But again, the fact that we have knowledgeable subject matter experts and learning designers such as yourselves that have just a passion for what you do, a passion for technology and a passion for t still continuing your learning and producing just wonderful uh, lessons, you know, for students to create learning experiences is something great. So I'm really excited for you and the people that you get to work alongside of. And I bet those people have so much fun working alongside y'all too, as well, for sure. <laughs> I hope so. I hope yeah. so. <laughs> no. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot. I know we have the last three questions that we're going to go through, but I want to go ahead and do just like a little quick fire. So I'll go ahead and start with Will and just kind of putting you on the spot. Can, whether it's K-12 or higher ed, or maybe it can work in both worlds, can you share maybe your top three ed tech tools that are your go-to tools? Top three. I'm not going to touch one of Josh's. I know I can leave that alone. Uh, Nearpod has been a longtime fan of mine, favorite. I know there's tons of tools in that space now, but it just, it just always works. I've liked that one. Um, Miro, Miro is a top tool in this space. I use it actually in my, my day job in, in corporate, but seeing what it can do for like collaborative building in a, in a professional context tells me what it's possible in doing in an educational context. And then I might, I might just say something like discord, Slack, something like, like those, those um, social third space kind of tools where you can not only have direct messaging and channels and stuff like that, but getting the students into um, a texting or communicating ecosystem where they can actually then have some DMS and some, some of their own spaces, top notch. Those would be my top three. Yeah. Love it. Great. All right, Josh, how about yourself? Yeah, so just those is my thought. No, um, the... <laughs> ditto, <laughs> um, huh? Yeah, ditto. That's the default answer, right? Um, yeah, no, I mean, it, one of the tops that I've been using the most in my class right now that so many of us are familiar with in education, we've done a ton, a ton on the podcast, is Canva. I use Canva a lot for presentation. Um, but even just, I think the thing I've really enjoyed about using Canva with their new like whiteboard feature embedded within mm. the presentations i've been able to use that in a cool way in class to be able to kind of do a presentation be working through stuff have my slides do stuff I'm, I'm controlling there but then jump out into kind of a whiteboard where we can pull people in or i can use it in kind of more flexible digital space um to interact in and so that's that's just been really helpful and i've i've really enjoyed i don't know why i didn't know this existed up until recently in canva but i found it in this class that i was like i can control it with my phone and do emojis from the slide so I've been, they have like a drop awesome. the mic one that I've been enjoying kind of using as a student says something really cool or a, a, a good point. So I've been using that. So I've been enjoying that. Um, I would also toss in, even though I'm, I'm only going to steal one of Will's, but I feel like it's not fair. You used it. I'm also going to use it. Um, Miro is also on my list. I've really, really enjoyed Miro. Um, I think the thing I really like about Miro is we're working a lot in kind of digital spaces and, and Zoom sessions and students coming on and collaborating from different areas. And what I really enjoy about Miro is just the control you have as a professor or a, a faculty member or teacher to kind of set up an environment in Miro for people. Um, I've been really enjoying using kind of their frame feature to set up kind of different activities and things that they may do together inside of Miro. And then being able to like navigate students around, I think Miro just does a really good job of kind of setting up an environment for you to do that, where you can kind of move around and, and jump into different areas. Um, and then the last one I would pick, it's not really fully a tech tool, but I can't say a tool without saying this. 
anybody who listens to the high tech podcast knows that I am obsessed with the app notion. Um, so notion is a tool that I use to run my entire personal life, work life. We, we, we design our courses inside notion. We use it as kind of a design space to collaborate. Um, but I've been using it this semester to do teaching notes and kind of lesson plans and, and prep things. I've been able to do everything from my own lesson plans and setups to creating study guides and being able to share that with students directly from and live update directly in that area. Um, and, uh, they, they added a, as Will and I talk about this all the time now recently, they added like an AI little chat bot thing I can use to search my entire database. Um, that has been, has been an interesting and kind of fun tool to use, to be able to find information from past lesson plans that I forget that I did. Uh, I literally just used it the other day to be like, I don't remember what I taught last, like two Wednesdays ago. And I asked it that and it found my lesson plan from two Wednesdays ago and dropped it for me, uh, to jump in there. So like this. Notion has just been kind of an organizational tool and things that I really think has a lot of power for as teachers or anything we're doing. There's a lot we have to try to manage and organize. And I think Notion has been a tool that I've really enjoyed being able to, to do all of that in. And it's made my life easier to remember what I need to do when I need to do it and kind of help myself be organized for my students. So, yeah. Love it. Great shares, guys. Love it, love it, love it. All right, guys. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up with our last three questions. So here we go. And of course, this will be in the context of higher education because that's where you all work. So question number one, I'm going to go ahead and start with Josh first so josh as we all know kryptonite was superman's weakness or pain point in that case so in the current state i guess of higher ed within your context what would you consider your current edu kryptonite yeah so um i've been thinking and about you this can for only a pick bit. one yeah i can only pick one i know i'm so happy <laughs> um no i think right now like to look at big picture and kind of the thing that i think we're all kind of struggling through in higher ed um, higher ed's kind of become like a, a rough animal to be a part of. Every institution kind of feels like it's just surviving. Uh, and mm. I think a, a pain point in that has been in some ways focus has moved towards just kind of how do we keep students and not mm. on how do we actually grow students well? How do we educate students well? And I think that there's plenty of people doing that well in higher ed. They're trying to, it's not to say that people aren't, but it's a tension I think a lot of us in higher ed have to deal with on a, a regular basis right now of kind of that pressure to at one end keep students in there, but at the same end, we want to, we want to do good education and that sometimes is messy and it's not fast and it's not efficient. Um, and so that I think is a struggle right now in higher ed that we're kind of all dealing with um, that kind of rears its head on a regular, regular basis. There you go. That is a great answer. Thank you so much for that insight. And I know you, you could only pick one, so I don't know. I'm going to have to invite you guys back on the show. So that way you can go ahead and get the other two or three out. So that's definitely opening up some invites for a couple of episodes. So you guys can come back for sure. All right, Will, now to you. What would you say is your current edu kryptonite? I can, uh, I can point to it with a divide. Unfortunately, I believe there's too big of a divide between the boards of trustees, boards of directors, boards of whatever up at the top and the instructor. There's so much space between those people. It, it, it's, it's just a chasm where the boards don't know what the instructors are doing and the instructors can't get to the boards and make a, make, make a, make a, a call to action to change things. I left higher education because of that issue. The board made a decision for the university and I couldn't stomach it. Um, 
you know, and I know that I'm not the only one who's been affected like that, but like there's districts, there's, there's institutions, there's higher ed university, all these different places where that is pretty consistent. The top is not listening to the bottom and the bottom is burning out. So that chasm is the pain point, but those, there's so many symptoms that end up coming because of that. I think that we could use a lot of like real honest, heartfelt conversations at the same table with the people wearing the suits and ties and the people who are in the classrooms getting paint and muck and kids and stuff thrown at them and cursed at and shouted at by parents and all the stuff that's happening to our teachers these days. It's, that's not what we're here for. We're here to change lives. That's what teachers want to do. That's why we do what we do. We love doing it. So I would love to see that chasm get closer, really bring us these people together. There you go, man. Great answer, man. Thank you so much. All right, Will, we'll start off with you for this next one. If you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Be curious, not judgmental. Quote from Ted Lasso, the TV show, which he's quoting Walt Whitman, which I've Googled and <laughs> may or may not be said by Walt Whitman. But um, Ted Lasso is an inspirational show to me you know, warning to anybody who's not seen it. There's a lot of cursing. So please don't take this as some endorsement that it's something to watch with your kids, but it's pretty wholesome. It challenges people to be better. Uh, and that statement itself has really resonated with me. Even today, Josh and I were dealing with something where I was just like ready to go nuclear. And he's like, well, what if we asked a question? I was like, oh man, that's good. Let's be curious and not judgmental. That would be on all, any billboard I could fund. Love it. Love it. Great answer. All right, Josh, now to you. What would your billboard say? Yeah, um, I just want to note that I 100% knew that was going to be a Ted Lasso thing from Will. So it's just, <laughs> in my head, I was like, this is 100% Ted Lasso. Um, a quote that I always have everywhere. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings nerd, and uh, not all uh, those who wander are lost. It's a quote that kind of always has stuck with me, and I think um, encapsulates parts of my life, and I've always enjoyed. So I think I'd throw throw that up on a billboard with a nice you know sword from lord of the rings you need to have some kind of you know there you go <laughs> love it there you go all right and finally josh we'll start off with you on this one if you had to author a book starting tomorrow what would your book be about okay Oof. i already know because will and i just talked about it today it's an idea that just came up today um, Ted Lasso's Guide to Project Management. Uh, just keep an eye out for it. Yes. Um, we're, <laughs> <laughs> Martina's we're, a little bad. Yeah, that's what our quote was from today. We were working on a project thing, and uh, he quoted Ted Lasso. And I was like, we need to do a Ted Lasso's Guide to Project Management. So it's the next book coming from the High Tech Podcast. Love it. I love it. All right. Will, how about yourself? If you had to offer think... a book tomorrow, what would it be about? I think I might title it how to shout how to shout as quietly as possible and be some sort of like motivational help you know thing of like saying the important and the hard messages even like what I was just talking about with the chasm you know it's a tough topic uh in effective empathetic gracious ways I don't I don't know maybe there's a real book in there but how to shout as quietly as possible love it all right well Josh will this has been amazing thank you so much for this 
great conversation, just so laid back and just getting to know you guys. And obviously I know being on the same network and so on, but again, maybe just different, slightly different audience, but I'm glad that uh, my audience, you know, which is your audience now too, as well, had an opportunity to get to hang out with you all today, listen to your conversation, listen to your viewpoints. And of course, just, you know, pick up some knowledge nuggets that they can still apply to what they're doing, you know, on the day to day. So thank you both for doing what you're doing. Keep it up, guys. I really appreciate what you're doing, the work that you're doing. And of course, big shout out to Chris Nessie as well. You know, as we all know, Chris Nessie always has something, you know, going on and, and being part of this uh, podcasting, you know, just what we do and this podcasting passion. So big shout out to Chris Nessie and the rest of the EPN network. So thank you guys. I appreciate you all. And thank you, Tanya. Thank you, uh, Oscar. Thank you, Tim Cavey also for joining us in the chat and for all our audience members that are going to be catching this on the replay or rewatching this later on YouTube. Thank you as always for making my EdTech life what it is today. Like I mentioned earlier, we do what we do for you so we can bring you some amazing conversations week in and week out. So thank you all. And please make sure you visit our website at myedtech.life, myedtech.life, where you can check out this amazing episode and the other 251 wonderful episodes with amazing creators, professors, CEOs, founders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and all kinds of preneurs. Uh, please make sure that you check it out. And I promise that you will find something specifically for you that you can take some knowledge nuggets from and sprinkle them onto what you are already doing great. So thank you as always. And as always, my friends, also please make sure you follow us on all socials at my edtech life all socials there and please go ahead and bounce over to youtube go ahead and give us a thumbs up and subscribe we're we're trying to get to a thousand followers so we would greatly appreciate that and again as always thank you all for your support and until next time my friends don't forget stay techie